back on the exit 52 podcast it is friday november 3rd my name is jake luke i'm joined on my screen by spencer nathaniel schultz sir how we doing doing well just stuffed my face <clears throat> my back's been killing me all week just hung on an inversion table a little bit and i'm uh, fighting fighting through my 30s quickly here so doing our best my shoulders all locked up we're just we're just having a tough tough week had the covid bout a little back trouble a little shoulder trouble but it's quite all right november's here it's holiday season officially it's jean season flannel season all that good stuff so getting ready for a pretty big matchup pretty fun matchup we've been looking forward to i think for really most of this year we've been excited about this game yeah i think so too what's the uh what's the equilibrium situation after an inversion table is used i've heard mixed reviews My, i'm fine from that it, the only thing about inversion tables that's tough is that you, if you don't have the height adjusted right and you, the, it, the pain doesn't go away, then it can be difficult to get out of them. You'll need a, a buddy maybe. But if you've got it right, you can kind of just lift your knees and then it just flips right back over. But I love them. It really helps every time. It immediately provided me relief to my back, which is probably the fourth or fifth time I've done that. And it's provided immediate relief. Usually if I do it twice in a two-day period, my back will be like 98 to 100% relieved of whatever discomfort I had. Yeah, I've got a foam roller, but it's too small. So it's just kind of like I get onto that and I'm slipping and sliding off of it. It's just, it's a little bit of a pitiful situation. I'm trying to take better care of my back. Don't know if I'm in need of an inversion table quite yet, but you know, I've heard uh, you get onto those things and you, you can get out of whack a little bit. So I just wanted to uh, check in on that, but I don't know, maybe a bit of a non sequitur there to open things, but I was curious. Uh, you're right. This is a highly anticipated matchup between the Ravens and the Seattle Seahawks traveling to town for a 1 p.m. game back at home, you know, for a, a little home stand here, uh, you know, it looks like. And it, it couldn't come soon enough. The Ravens have been doing a ton of traveling. It's been some weird times. I had to play a 930 a.m. game for our time, at least I had to play a 425 game last week. It's just been been a lot going on. So they're back at the cozy confines of M&T. Although the opponent is one that uh, they don't see too often. They certainly haven't seen uh, at MNT in about eight years or so, I think. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. John Harbaugh versus uh, Pete Carroll, face slash off. Uh, and we're we're looking forward to it. So uh, first impressions of this game right off the bat for you. Well, Harbaugh had comments that were just to a T of what we would want out of, of Harbaugh regarding Pete Carroll. They asked him about Pete Carroll, and he said, you just know whatever they're going to do, it's going to have his personality all over it, and they're going to have a lot of fun, which was the most John Harbaugh response about Pete Carroll. We could have written that very easily. What would John Harbaugh say about Pete Carroll? So I, I love that. that. I just, uh, you're telling me now for the first time. Love that from, from Harbaugh. And there was just such a good article. If you have a, an athletic subscription, which you should, I know that they've kind of done away with maybe some of the local beat reporting, but I still find it to be worth my, yeah, worth my read. It depends on where you are and what you're into. The national stuff though, is the best national stuff, regardless, in my opinion, I think that their think pieces, their bios, and a lot of what they do is top a tier, maybe not S tier, but a tier still, but really fun article. Go search Pete Carroll, the athletic. I'll try and retweet it at some point before this weekend. It just, kind of randomly interviewed Seahawks players in like an ABC format interchanging between players about how fun Pete Carroll is. But first impressions about this game, the Ravens are six point favorites, which feels pretty heavy. Feels like the action that feels like a trap. It feels like Vegas trying to get action towards Seattle there. I think we might see a game timeline a little bit closer, 
but a very interesting line. I saw the total has been 42 and a half, 44 and a half, moving all around there. So very interesting lines and a really interesting Seahawks team to me that I think kind of talent wise is pretty similar to the Ravens aside from the quarterback position. Um, there's some talent in their front. There's some talent in their secondary. They've got talent at the playmaking positions, maybe, probably a little more, maybe I would say, maybe not as deep at the playmaking positions, but uh, the skill positions, but definitely a, a sturdy crew on both sides. It is that vaunted West Coast team making the one o'clock game. And I know that we have said this year, I'm not into time zones. I'm not into miles. I'm not into this, that injuries as much outside of quarterbacks. That, though, does seem to have a history, especially in Baltimore, of favoring the Ravens. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's interesting. I mean, like just looking up and down their depth chart, they're a pretty, pretty talented squad. I mean, Geno Smith, obviously having the career renaissance, he's been a super fun story the last couple of years and is like sneakily like I think some people were maybe expecting a bit of a regression after he signed that deal. It hasn't really happened. Like he's still looking pretty solid. It's maybe, you know, I think the sheen has kind of worn off a little bit. So people aren't surprised. It's not as big of a story, but he's quietly just kind of humming along, having a good season, moving the ball for them. And um yeah, I mean, just looking through this offense is very talented. I mean, they're three deep at wide receiver there with with Metcalf, with Lockett, and then JSN obviously slotting. They're, they're kind of four deep right now with Mr. Bobo. Yeah, Jake Bobo too looking solid looking very solid. Uh so yeah, they're they're solid, man. Uh just across the board. Noah Fant just quietly still there. He was like a, a highly touted tight end coming out of Iowa. Uh got moved over in the Russell Wilson trade, just quietly one of those pieces that you know wasn't one of those premium draft picks, but it's made plays for them. I think he made a big play for them against the Browns last week. Um, I think weirdly like offensive line, like they got some touted guys there, but I think I saw something about Charles Cross and one of their other guys pretty low or at least average as far as pass block win, win rate goes, which is kind of supposed to be his forte. But outside of that, like this offense is looking really good defense. Good as ever. I mean, Devin Witherspoon slotting in there a corner. He's, you know, been a probably a pro bowler, if not all pro right out right out of the gate. Bobby Wagner is back there. Jordan Brooks, our favorite uh, guy that we said sounded like a millennial, however many years ago that was. Uh, same draft class as Patrick Queen, I think. Uh, and then my guy, Boye Mafe, Jaron Reed's still there. Leonard Williams, they just traded for from the Giants. So I don't know, man. It's kind of like I don't see this team necessarily winning the Super Bowl. I, I just don't know if you kind of have that ceiling with a Geno Smith, a quarterback. But, like, they're they're just a, a, in the mix as almost any team in the NFC, I think. And they, they'll certainly be a tough out this Sunday. Yeah, I think them and the Lions, not that this game – well – I like them better than the Lions. I would say that there's two tiers in the NFC. It is the 49ers and the Eagles. Because of Jalen Hurts being the Eagles quarterback, I'm going to give the, the Eagles the nod there as things currently stand. Then that B tier is really the Lions and um, the Seahawks. And, man, I don't even really – the, the Saints maybe, but it's like Derek Carr there maybe the, nope. the C tier there. So – those are the four teams I look to and just to quickly go through and then kind of get into some takes when you go through, look through efficiency, we've been reading off the efficiencies for teams in these previews, the Ravens and Seahawks have very similar non-garbage time efficiency EPA per play. The Ravens are 10th. The Seahawks are eighth success rate. The Ravens are fourth. The Seahawks are fifth drop back EPA. The Ravens are 17th. So a little bit more towards average. The Seahawks are in the top 10 coming in at number nine drop back success rate. Ninth for the Ravens, fourth for the Seahawks, rushing EPA and rushing success rate. The Ravens are in first place and the Seahawks are in fifth and 13th. So the Seahawks have a more efficient pass game in non-garbage time and the Ravens have an elite 
run game as opposed to maybe an above average to good run game in, in terms of efficiency for the Seahawks. I looked at both of these teams as being B tier offenses to continue using tiers and to put the 49ers and the Dolphins and maybe the Bills and a couple other teams that are more efficient. The levels, when you look at those linear charts that, that track efficiency, the Seahawks and the Ravens are kind of married together with the Cowboys right around there. So two pretty darn efficient offenses. Um, what I had written down about the Seahawks offense is that they're balanced, they're talented, they're exciting. Geno Stone has one of the lowest pressure to sack rates. We talked about that when we were scouting Anthony Richardson. When he gets pressured, it rarely turns into a sack. He does a great job throwing the ball away, finding an outlet, scrambling, creating. Last week against the Browns, had an incredible early touchdown pressure in his face. And it really reminded me a lot of prime Russell Wilson, to be honest, kind of gets wrapped up for a minute in a mush and then just bails out, kicks his feet out and floats one of those Russell Wilson type moon balls. It was kind of sh like a sh medium distance, maybe 15, 17 yards, but still had a ton of arc on it and just dropped one into the back corner of the end zone. So I thought that was a pretty funny little parallel uh, considering how those two have played out and what that whole situation was. It was like, oh, he can, he can do some of those things. So Gino is he's like, and again, I like Gino better than golf because it's those same things. I feel like they're somewhat similar players, but golf will melt. If you hit him, we saw the Ravens do that to him. We saw the Raiders get him to kind of get into a weird position at one point in that game. Gino doesn't melt under pressure. He'll kill drives. He'll lose battles to win wars. A lot of times um, has such a wide array of weapons around them. And you bring up the offensive line, Part of the offensive line issue, so I believe the Seahawks have run 423 offensive plays, and no offensive player has played more than 375 snaps. Their center, Evan Brown, has played 375, so that's 50 snaps that their center hasn't been on the field for. He missed the game. Damian Lewis, the next lineman with 321. Jonathan Anthony Bradford. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Bradford, 313. Stone Forsyth, who I liked a lot, coming out of Florida a couple years ago, 304. Charles Cross has only played 227 snaps. He's been banged up. So that is the weak spot there, that offensive line when you look at these offenses. And uh, I love Charles Cross. He was my top-rated tackle last year, but been banged up. Look at Ronnie Stanley, missing time, not maybe playing as smooth as he can. So if the Ravens defense wants to run train on this Seahawks offense, got to create pressure, got to hit Geno Stone, got to get after him. And... I don't know. The Seahawks haven't really been blitzed. The Ravens don't blitz much. They really only blitzed once against the Colts. Uh, the Seahawks have faced the blitz at an above average rate one week, and that was against the New York Giants. Surprise, surprise, Wink Martindale blitzing and absolutely drummed the Giants when they did so. Uh, the Ravens have been below average on every game except for the Colts game. They blitzed the crap out of Minshew, Kyle Hamilton sacks, things like that. And then the Lions, the Ravens blitzed a fair amount. So curious to see if the Ravens turn up the heat or not. But then if you miss, it's DK Metcalf and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Noah Fant and if Kenny Walker gets a ball in space. So I would wager to say the Ravens don't blitz much in this one. You, It's funny. You, uh, I knew this would happen with one of us and maybe, I'm sure it still will throughout the show. You called him Geno Stone like three times. Oh my gosh. There we go. <laughs> Which is just great. But yeah, no, this offense, I mean, it kind of just, it seems pretty straightforward. It seems kind of like a, 
they seem like front runners a little bit. If you look at the stats, I think they're 23rd as far as third down conversion percentage, uh, converting 35.4. And then compare that to a Ravens offense, which, like I said, man, people have their complaints about this Ravens offense. I'm liking it. I think I'm liking it for, like I said, sustained drives, but also the clutch factor. And we'll get into the Ravens offense, but they're six on that list by comparison. So Ravens much more clutch on converting these third downs than the Seahawks offenses. And I think that maybe speaks to a little bit of a one dimensionalness and kind of, like I said, a front running quality where it's a lot of Kenneth Walker on those early downs. It's mixing in some of these big targets uh, at and around the sticks. But, you know, if you put yourself in, in a bad situation on first and second down and you're looking at these third and, you know, fourth and long and money long downs like that, that can be tough for an offense like this that is not showing up uh, on those downs, at least by the numbers. Definitely. And getting into PFF's charting of pressure that Geno Smith has faced. I, I now that now I just realized I was doing it. It's funny. A lot of Geno's wow. a lot of a lot of Geno's on the brain. Uh, when kept clean, Geno Smith, I almost just did it again, has made nine big time throws and had five turnover worthy plays on 146 dropbacks. He's been pressured 41% of his dropbacks, which is a really high rate has only made one big-time throw and six turnover-worthy plays. So maybe I was a little bit wrong in that, just based on the last... I only watched the last two weeks. So with that in mind, I think that the kitchen sink of simulated pressure on an offensive line that doesn't have continuity, I think we're going to see as much sim pressure and dropping guys off the ball, Michael Pearson coverage, Justin Matabike in coverage, Devian Clowney in coverage, those kinds of things. And Gino will hold the ball... So the answers to those is kind of throwing behind those blitzing defenders quickly. That's not his forte necessarily throwing like quick hitches and spot routes and quick little things like that. So I think it's going to be an interesting one. His overall time to throw is pretty similar to Lamar Jackson's. It's 2.89. I think Jackson's been hovering right around three. So they're holding the ball for a similar amount of time. And Smith has only scrambled nine total times this year. So I think the Ravens to give a prediction, I think the Ravens, Geno Smith has done a great job of not letting pressure turn into sacks. Like we said, I am going to bet against that and say that the number one sack defense in the NFL has a three, four, five sack day. I'm going to go with four sacks in this one and maybe three, four quarterback hits on top of it at least. And if that is the case, I think that the Ravens can hold the Seahawks under 20 points. And if you can hold the Seahawks under 20 points, you expect to win. Yeah, no. And sometimes like the it's a forest of the tree situation and you look at the basic big stats and they tell you, um, even a little bit more of the picture. And it's, you know, he's 67.6 as far as completion percentage, which is pretty solid. I mean, he's pushing 70 there. That's pretty good. Uh, it's a 7.3 yards per attempt, which is solid. But like those numbers have kind of crept up, I think, especially as like the Mahomes and guys like Herbert that have come into the league that like to boom it a little bit. I feel like that's a little bit uh, below those types of averages. So he kind of is just a little bit, I wouldn't say a check down Charlie, but he just kind of seems like a guy who knows where the six are. He's like you said, living to fight another day and trying to go after those. So, yeah, I think uh, I could see the Ravens finding a way to uh, bring some unique pressures here. And I think when you're dealing with an offense that has weapons like they do, I mean, they got, like we said, some dogs there with Lockett, with Metcalf, with Smith and Jigbo to worry about, with Fant to worry about. Um, they'll have their hands full, certainly. But, I mean, if you can get to Geno first, then you're not going to have to worry about them as much. And that's where I ex expect to see creative blitzing like we saw in that Colts game that you referenced with Hamilton. I mean, he had, what, three sacks in that first half. Get him into the mix a little bit. Get Roquan moving forward a little bit. I feel like we haven't seen him blitzed as much. Maybe it just hasn't been felt an impact. But I am expecting McDonald to start to shake things up a little bit because it feels like he has been kind of uh, 
you know, going to the same pitch, I feel like a little bit in the last couple of weeks, which has been totally fine because you're talking about not exactly a murderer's row of quarterbacks, but it's starting to get a little bit better here as you move forward. And I think Geno Smith is a first good test uh, in that regard. You've been spot on, my friend. Roquan Smith has blitzed in the last three games once against the Titans, which was his lowest rated game of the season, according to PFF, five times against Detroit, which is okay, and four times against Arizona. To start the year, he blitzed 11-4-24-4. So over the first three games, he blitzed 35 times. Over the last three games, he's blitzed 10 times. And, you know, relative to snaps, things like that, those probably are a little less drastic. Looks like there were more snaps played, especially in that Indianapolis game. But to your point, yes, blitz Roquan Smith. In terms of the run game and play action, I actually dove a little deeper just now, which I didn't look at earlier. The... Seahawks pass game apparently stinks on ice without play action, with no play action, 72% of their dropbacks, six touchdowns, all six of his interceptions have been without play action, 10 turnover-worthy plays as opposed to six big-time throws. Conversely, 9.7 yards per attempt when they go to play action, 28% of their plays are play action, which is a... Today's NFL isn't like a, wow, they're a huge play action team, but they're like, all right, play action's a foundation of what they do. Um, so obviously the run game and play action always tied together. And I would anticipate what I saw on tape from the Cardinals. Now that I did have time to watch was they had a clear plan. Speaking of Roquan Smith, we're going to attack the linebackers. We're going to get our offensive linemen to the second level. And those linebackers are not going to be the reason we can't run the ball. So they decided we are going to run duo. We're going to run inside zone. And we're going to live with Travis Jones and Justin Matabike and Michael Pierce being the ones to be the reason we can't run the ball. They weren't trying to hang their combos really tightly. They were really trying to touch and go to the second level um, and, and some of their inside zone or mid zone stuff. So I think, I think that's the smartest thing you can do against this Ravens defense, because if you don't go get pause on Smith and queen, They're just two running backs that will match your running back at the end of the day. And Smith is so smart. Queen is so slippery and aggressive. When you leave space, they will close it. They will tackle. They will hit. They will end plays. They will stuff runs. So I think the Seahawks, who have more explosive backs in Kenneth Walker, who's crazy explosive, Zach Charbonnet, who Pete Carroll has been gushing about all week and was a second-round pick as well, uh, I would think that's the strategy. If the Seahawks put up over 20 points, I think it's because they can run the football. They use that same strategy. We don't see Smith and Queen able to make a big impact. We'll end up seeing guys like, uh, you know, Adafi Owe, Malik Harrison, Clowney, uh, Kyle Hamilton, Geno Stone, I guess. Maybe, maybe Marcus Williams. We'll see if he plays in this one. He's been questionable. Um, those will be kind of the factors in this one. And I'm curious to see how that run game goes because – I think the Cardinals showed a glimpse or a, I should say a sliver of a way to be successful. And if the Seahawks can flip the field on like a 50 yard Kenneth Walker run or something, which they did to the Browns last week, uh, I think that will keep this. That will be the reason they cover and maybe win uh, if they can consistently kind of get to that second level with their offensive line and move forward. But I don't know. Again, you're, you watch Michael Pierce go have a fucking day because they weren't doubling him as much. They were trying to get to the second level. So it's really the 
the dual edge sword there, the live by the sword, die by the sword. If you want to play that game, but I just think that's the best thing to do against this Ravens defense. Yeah. And it's interesting They're The Ravens are 12th as far as opponent rushing yards per game allowed. It's 99.9 right now, which is kind of funny. Uh, and you know, it's obviously, it's not an efficiency metric, but like I look at that Colts game, it didn't feel like the feel like the Colts ran the ball super efficiently, but they just never went away from it. It was Zach Moss, five yards, Zach Moss, eight yards, Zach Moss, four yards, Zach Moss, six yards. It was just, they were just chunking them to death. Um, and then if you look at these last three games, it's actually skewed a little bit. They've allowed uh, 114 over the last three, which you're talking about some pretty strong rushing teams there uh, with Detroit, uh, with the Titans, and then the uh, Cardinals. Maybe they have to rely on the run a little bit more, but they ran the ball okay. So you're coming into this game, like you said, with a pretty efficient rushing attack and with Kenneth Walker, who's super talented and can break some off and did break one off against probably the best defense that we've seen in the last couple of years in the Browns last week. So it's something to worry about. And the Seahawks are hyper efficient. I think they're one of the top five most efficient teams at running the ball on first down, but they don't do it very often. I believe they do at the eighth lowest rate in the NFL, around 40% they rush on first down. And they have a, a the third best success rate. I think it was something right along those lines. Um, in terms of rush defense success rate allowed, the Ravens have dropped down now to 10th. So I think the Cardinals showed you to beat the Ravens, you have to stay out of third and long. The Seahawks aren't good on third and long. You're also going into what hopefully, again, is a rocking stadium for an excited fan base, an excited team. Running the football can calm all of that down, take the energy out of the game, and get into a Ravens defense. So if the Seahawks are smart, which offensively they're, they are their own worst enemy a lot of times, but they're well run too over the last three, four years, I would expect, especially in the first quarter. And to your point, if they can just stick with it, even if you're down 14, even if you're down 10 to the Ravens stick to the script, run the football. I think that's how you could have a little bit more success uh, because this Ravens pass defense just doesn't allow big plays. They get you into those third and longs. If you want to throw the ball a bunch on first down, you're going to find yourself in some second and third and longs, and that's how you give them the football back. So that's the the recipe if I'm Pete Carroll and the Seahawks offensive staff to trying to set the tone in this game. And the other factor to that too is like the Ravens did just travel so much and they did just look flat in Arizona. The energy of it, the pre-snap communication defensively was low. It was quiet. So I think in a rockin' M&T Bank Stadium, we'll see them pick up and, and play up and up and up. So that's going to be a fun battle. Um, I guess we can switch on to the other side of the ball. We've, we've really covered a lot here. I think that was probably our deepest analysis we've done. I can just feel the analysis roll, just flowing through our veins right now. Oh, my gosh. So much cis in that anal. It's, just, it's deep within my loins. Can feel I, my my passion for sports analysis runs deep within my loins. Also, like my passion for jazz flute. That old jazz flute. Watch Whiplash last night for like maybe the third time. So good. Did you watch it because of my uh, my tweet last night? No, I didn't even know you tweeted about it. Actually, Bobby Knight passed away, so I was like, whenever I watch Whiplash, Fletcher and Bobby Knight, it kind of if yeah, if Bobby Knight, if they're gonna do a Bobby Knight biopic, J.K. Simmons, that's your guy. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Great movie. Right. It is a great movie. That is, I, I said uh, to Fran, probably I would put that in the top 20 of this century. Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah, top top maybe 15 or so. I would have to sit down and think about it, but especially because it was, and I meant to look this up last night, actually, 
such a low budget, I would assume. There's nothing expensive about that movie. I think that was I think Damien Chazelle actually made that before La La Land. I think that was three point like, three million dollar budget. Yeah, and that's all going probably to Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. Yes. Like, all crazy. they did had they had rooms with instruments and that was it. Yeah. It's amazing. So good. I guess that can uh, switch us over to the other side of the footy footy football. So as we go look at the Seattle defense, uh, I really try to focus more on their offense because when I started looking at the initial numbers, it's the Lions defense with better players on it, in my opinion. And hey, Aiden Hutchinson's a good player. Uh, Aleem McNeil's a good player. Brian Branch is a good player. I just feel like there's more physicality and talent and athleticism and those big corners that they have and Tariq Woolen, who apparently is just going by Reek now, real cool, R.I.Q. Just <laughs> real cool guy to, uh, now. Shout out to Theon Greyjoy. There, <laughs> Reek. What I wrote down is their defense is similar to the Lions, but plays with more of an edge. They don't roll coverage post-snap often at all. When they do, they get absolutely toasted. They blitz at exactly the league average. They blitz 29% of passing downs, and the league average is 29.5. They simulate pressure less than the Ravens do, but well above average still. They stunt above above league average as well. So on most passing downs, there is either and or a simulated pressure or a stunt. They play a significant amount of cover three and cover six above league average. They play 10% more cover three than league average and 11 11% more cover six. They lead the NFL in cover six usage. The Ravens have seen a little bit of cover six, not a small amount, not a medium amount. Uh, and they see a ton of cover three. So the reason I feel like it's similar to the Lions is in coverage, not as much as what they do pressure-wise. The Lions don't blitz, and they don't simulate pressure, and they don't stunt. The Seahawks do those things more towards league average. But they just show you the picture pre-snap, and they don't change it. When they change it, they are astronomically bad at rolling coverage. They are by far the worst in the NFL, almost by 100% of the next closest team. They rarely do it. So they like to sit in cover three. If they're too high, it's cover six. So there's going to be a flat defender and then cover three from the corner, the two safeties. Um, So that asks a lot of their middle linebackers. Obviously, Bobby Wagner there. They go and trade for Leonard Williams. So they have Leonard Williams, Jaron Reed, who has been elite, very similar to Michael Pierce's impact this year, and Dre Jones, who's a a definite load to handle. They have Boye Mafé. Uh, and Darrell Taylor, as well as Frank Clark, recently signed. They have Derek Hall, the rookie outside linebacker out of Auburn. Very physical. Boye Mafe has had a sack in five straight games. He's playing super sharp. Uh, your boy, Derek Hall, super physical. Darrell Taylor, my boy from a few years ago. Then in that third level, Devin Witherspoon, dog. Reek Woolen, dog. Quandre Diggs, very smart, kind of a dog. And Jamal Adams. I think you and I both love – I think maybe I like – I can't remember your takes on Jamal Adams. I feel like you like him, don't love him. Um, I liked him a lot. We had uh, we had like a whole podcast years ago when he was. It felt like the Ravens were very much in the mix to trade for him. Definitely. So that is a hardcore unit. They also have Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner in that middle. So a more talented, slightly more creative, especially in terms of pressure defense than the Lions. So I think they'll play better than the Lions a little bit. But again. They haven't played a Lamar Jackson or a Josh Allen or a Mahomes. They haven't played those really good quarterbacks that can, when things break down, move around. I think they saw Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow started to look like himself against them, threw for two touchdowns. Uh, the, the Bengals just, 
don't create explosive plays anymore. It's nuts. I think they're third lowest in the league. So it was kind of just this ticky tacky game where Burrow picked them apart a little bit and they controlled them defensively. But the Seahawks have the best rushing or excuse me, the second best rush success rate allowed in the NFL. However, they allow 5.4 yards to quarterbacks per carry, which is the 31st in the NFL. So fast quarterbacks have lit them up. They haven't seen a Lamar Jackson. I think that, and we heard Lamar Jackson get asked about his record versus the NFC and makes you think of back the last time they played Seattle, Lamar just kind of put them all on, on ski on skates and uh, did a lot of stuff in the open field. The Ravens have been more reluctant to do that. But again, I think that Lamar loves to run at home. I think the crowd feeds into him. He scores more touchdowns. I'm going to take Lamar anytime touchdown in this game. Um, I think he's going to run on them a good bit. It'll be tough sled and sledding in the middle, but they'll be able to get creative, do some of those things. And if you're going to let Lamar sit there and show him coverage, he's going to look safeties off. He's going to manipulate them with his with their eyes. Mark Andrews, I think, has a big day in this one and can do a lot of fun things. So I think it's a much more valiant effort than the Lions because the Lions are so vanilla. The Seahawks are kind of vanilla with a little more talent. So I think we see a more reasonable game, but uh, I think the Ravens can still score three touchdowns in this one. Yeah, I mean, they're allowing 107.1 yards per game on the ground. That's 19th in the league. So, you know, definitely some place for, uh, you know, a, a prolific day to be had on the ground for a team that has a ton of different rushing options. And you mentioned, like, that's really the key to me. Like, the NFC, you talk about the quarterback scene there, and I know the Niners have, like, this really prolific rushing attack, and that's great and all, but look at what's going on with the Rams and their, you know, their backfield. There's just not a lot there as far as rushing talent. Arizona, obviously, you know, they can run it a little bit, but that's kind of their whole identity. They can't really do much else. So you look at some of the opponents that they've been playing. It's just not a whole lot there as far as versatility. It's kind of just, you know, a combine harvester working its way through, uh, you know, not not really a whole lot of uh, wheat to separate from the chaff. I feel like they, they're finally going to be dealing with some uh, this time around, and it's going to be in a harsh environment. I think to your point, like this, this crowd is starting to come back alive a little bit, and it's been very good to see. So, you know, talking about that 45% on third down for the Ravens offense, opponent third down conversion percentage for the Seahawks 45 percent opposing yards per play 4.8 Ravens are better than that they're somewhere in the fives for their offense uh, I saw earlier opponent red zone scoring 73 percent Ravens have been very very good in the red zone so numbers wise like it feels like this offense stacks up pretty well talent wise you know they have some good players but it's like it, it kind of feels like the main one that I'm looking at funny enough is rookie on rookie yeah Devin Witherspoon a super exciting player that is capable of just ripping someone's heart out, ripping someone's throat out. The weak part in his game coming out of Illinois was being able to run, turn, and run downfield. And this Ravens team hasn't really taken a lot of shots lately. So if the Seahawks are going to sit in cover three, which they do, they sit in middle of the field close, and they run cover three, a very high rate, that is going to ask Guys like Witherspoon, guys like Tariq Woolen. Tariq Woolen's a much better player at turning and running, but to go turn and run with a Zay Flowers, with a Rashad Bateman, and that's where I think I would love to see the Ravens take some shots this week, push the ball over their heads, and try to open things up. Yeah, I could definitely see that, and I feel like that is, it would be a welcome sight because we've mentioned, and I've liked what we've seen from the offense as far as just taking what's in front of you, stick to your plan, get to the sticks, you know, don't try to do too much. It does feel like we're ripe for that a little bit, ripe for that deep shot. We saw the one against the Bengals. That's, you know, ancient history at this point. Haven't really seen a whole lot since. There's been kind of some of the broken plays, some of like the Lamar sidestepping, hitting a Flowers or hitting a Beckham or an Andrews. 
uh, you know, and what you would categorize as an explosive play technically with 20 plus yards. But you want something bigger than that. You want something kind of flashier than that. I want them to make a little bit of a statement. So if they can get even one of those uh, in this game, I feel like that would be a pretty good springboard going into a difficult part of the schedule here. I fully agree. And Bobby Wagner, Devin Witherspoon, Boye Mafe, kind of been their leaders, I'd say, as their most disruptive players. Jordan Brooks plays a, a super solid linebacker as well. They did lose Uchenna Nwosu for the year, someone that's given the Ravens a ton of trouble. Jamal Adams still finding his footing, blitzing, uh, you know, trying to, to get back to his old self. Jaron Reed has been a nice player too. So, um, again, I think that the Ravens will – I think that Lamar Jackson, again, is just – I think he's too good for the NFC. Like, and I don't even think that because of his record, there just isn't Lamar Jackson in the NFC. They don't see that. I, I, I re- and there has been, there have been Kyler Murray is a fast player. That's creative. can do things. Russell Wilson in his prime. It's not like there's never been one. I just don't think there's one right now. Not that there is another Lamar Jackson necessarily, but the teams in the AFC deal with Mahomes, Allen Jackson. You can even throw Burrow and Justin Herbert into that, like very playmaking, creative, improvisational stars and trying to go outside of Seattle on a one o'clock East coast, 10 AM game, that classic lag that we see, I just don't think is going to be fun. I think that the Ravens offense had that big breakout, that, that sweet treat, you know, that birthday cake of, wow, we were able to kind of get it done, do what we wanted to do, bully the lions defense. Then the Cardinals just, put a lid back on them, made some plays, hit them harder than they hit them. And I would say really hung, like hit way above. That was kind of like a, a Rocky versus Apollo Creed. Not that the, not that they, you know, went the distance or anything like that, but they played way better than their level of talent. They played disciplined and they played physical and had a nice game. So I think the Ravens are pissed off about that. It was, I don't think they are. We know they are. We know from their comments, the things they were saying, they want to run the ball. They want to be more physical. They want to impose their will. They want to push the ball downfield. They got away from that last week. And if the Ravens don't have a good day offensively, I think it's because we see them pussyfoot around a little bit too much. They get outside of running the ball and throwing play action and wanting to grow the offense and things like that. Um, The Cardinals made sense though. That's the thing. If I'm Todd Munkin and I kind of have my core players healthy for the kind of the first time for like a couple of weeks and I want to go play the Cardinals, I kind of want to go get those reps in that, that preseason type game. I kind of want to push them in the 11 personnel, straight drop back, traditional concept stuff. It didn't really work. It didn't look good. But now against a better team, I think we go them see them go back to the blueprint of doing what they do best. The Seahawks have also only faced, I think this might be wrong. I'll try to double check it and, and correct myself on Twitter. I think they've only seen 1.1% of their opposition in 12 personnel, or excuse me, in 21 personnel. And the Ravens run that league high because of Pat Ricard. So, you know, it's not always Ricard in the backfield, but he's a fullback effectively on the field. Um, so I'm curious to see how they deal with that. I think we see some unbalanced lines. That looks like something Munkin has really liked getting Ronnie Stanley over to the other side, having a couple tackles next to each other that are big and strong and athletic. Um, so all curious things there. Morgan Moses is questionable in this one. Definitely something to watch. You just figure McCary steps in and goes over there as a really good pass protector, not the sturdiest of, of run blocker there, but it feels like they want McCary in this game anyway. 
Um, so I, I'm not surprised if McCarry finds his way onto the field, even if Morgan Moses is healthy a good bit. Uh, so I think it's just tough. Like part of me, I guess to get to prediction time a little bit, one thing I did want to touch on too, before I pass back to you for any of your thoughts, but Marlon Humphrey said Tyler Lockett is the hardest player he's ever had to cover. Tyler Lockett burnt him the last time they played. So I think that's a fun little caveat. Marlon's still trying to find his footing from his foot injury. I'm curious about that one, but I don't think the Ravens blow the Seahawks out because I think the Seahawks are too talented to get blown out. But I, I think the Seahawks are just going to be fighting an uphill battle for this entire game. Yeah, no, and it's interesting with Tyler Lockett, you know, saving himself for marriage, and then you know some of the comments that Gus Edwards had this week. I mean, it's quite a, some interesting synergy there that we're going to have to worry about. But yeah, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty much all I got. I think there's not a whole lot to cover as far as this offense goes. I think we just want to kind of see them keep it rolling, tune it up a little bit as far as taking the deep shots. So. You know, I'm into everything that you're saying, and I'm actually ready to, you know, get some predicky time. I want to go watch me some Will Levis. What do you think? Yeah, let's go watch some Willie Willie football uh, right about that time. This should be getting kicked off here right right now, I think. So yeah. with that, uh, I do think, I think we see Zay Flowers get a deep shot. They've kept him pretty under wraps. Uh, they've been throwing him the ball short, hasn't gotten really many deep targets, considering what we saw him do on, on the last kind of real deep target he had. Rashad Bateman's been cooking, so I think at least one of those two guys has a catch over 35 air yards in this game and at least a couple targets there. I'm going to go Ravens. I think the over hits in this game. I'm going to go Ravens 29, Seahawks 23. Mm. Push on the the spread there. Okay. I'm going to go – let's go Ravens 28, Seahawks 24. Seahawks win a four-point game last week, 24-20 to the Brownies. I think this will be a hard-fought game. I think it's going to be a fun one. I think it'll live up to the billing. Uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily call it a heavyweight, but maybe whichever the next one down, Welter, whatever it is. Lightweight. Uh, it could be something like that. So I mean, It's a light heavyweight. Light heavyweight. Sure, let's go with that. Um, John Harbaugh, Pete Carroll. Maybe this is the last time they ever see each other. You know, I know, I know you get the random NFC game this year, uh, so maybe they'll come back around or, you know, Ravens will go back out there at some point. But you know, Pete's getting a little bit older. It's every four years conventionally that these AFC and NFC matchups happen. So who knows? So, you know, enjoy it while you can. Thank you guys for listening and enjoying this show while you can. We really appreciate all your support while you're here. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and throw us a quick subscribe, like every video, comment on all the videos, get those uh, engagements going for us. Follow us on social media while you're at it. On Twitter, we are at Exit52Podcast. Same thing on Instagram. I am at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-U-E. Spencer is at Ravens4Dummies. That is the number four in the middle there. We will see you guys out at the bank on Sunday. It's going to be a fun one, like we said. And uh, in the meantime, we'll talk to you. We also have a tailgate with the Subtle Man. You can find that on my Twitter. $25 all you can drink, all you can eat for that Bengals Thursday night game coming up. We'll post more about it. There's a finite number of tickets, so go check that out. Use code DUMMIES for $5 off there, and we will see you then. See you. $25 all you can drink is going to be 20 with the code DUMMIES. 20. And we will see you indeed. Arrivederci.